The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Oops, oops, oops. <laughs> you are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Well, welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I'm Rick Welch, and to my left is Billy Eye Candy Kimsey. Mm, I ain't got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I surprised Dude, you. He loses yeah. weight, yeah. and he just can't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he was on a diet last week, and hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I lost struggle. 24 pounds. Did you, you did. I did awesome. notice that, Ralph. You Congratulations. Nice. You guys, everybody over there losing weight. Nice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, thank I have you. to step up the Including game. Including big, yeah. big <laughs> Daddy <laughs> Carter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> have you been losing weight, too? Oh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Straight no. out of Compton, Ralph Hicks. You represent. Behind the glass, Rocketman Andy Bishop. I did work a lot last weekend and just forgot to eat. Does that count? Yes. yes. Yeah, absolutely. If anybody in this room does not need to diet, it would be <laughs> Rocketman. Well, that's, that's right. Yes. That's partially partially why. Yeah. <laughs> and Sarita, the age, Edgerton. Hello. So good to see you guys here. So we went back to Berean. Uh, this is the third and final episode of that trip that we made where I didn't invite yep. Sarita. And so <laughs> I went back to May. I don't have a text about it. Son of a gun. I'm so sorry. It must have been like another one y'all had, a group text. We've um, got like eight group texts. Well, you know what it is? He did There's change it because we've added some people, yeah. so it's possible you got caught in that. Maybe. That's but I'm going to probably say that probably didn't happen, but I'm so sorry. Now, are you going with us to Long Island in October? No. Oh, come on. You didn't say Long Island. Long Island. Long Island. Long Island. Maybe. Andy, have you got anything booked for October 6th through 8th? You'll have to it check your calendar. It is my daughter's nineteenth birthday. Oh, uh, bring yeah. her with you, and we'll take her into the city. <laughs> yeah, we'll go into New York City. We'll take I her mean, to Times really? Square. Oh, that'd be great. Right through. What'd you city. say? So, what? Do it, huh? From where? Uh, October sixth to the eighth at. Um, oh yeah, we went over this. I wish I didn't. I have a gig in Tennessee. Our band has a gig in Tennessee. Oh uh, okay. I would so much love to go. Like, yeah. Desperately, but I don't think I can. Well, Sarita, you should totally bring Ella. So it's Ella's birthday, nineteenth. Mm-hmm. How about that? Wow. And All right, so I'll, I'll have to fill in for Andy, but I'm not as good as he is. No, I, I, I by the way, these recordings, if you'll, you'll notice that I recorded these <laughs> on, on Ralph's podcaster and we struggled so much. And I was like, I felt, you ever watch Hogan's Heroes where the guy gets mad and he's like, Hogan? I was like that with Andy. I was like, Andy, I know nothing. <laughs> I know nothing. It took us an hour to figure yeah. out how to get it to run. I know. Y'all didn't watch a YouTube video? Yeah, exactly. That would have told you like 3.2 seconds. We were actually Googling the operator's manual on that thing. (laughs) Yeah. YouTube video (laughs) will teach you how to do anything. So to be fair, Ralph only gave it to me a week in advance. And so I I did. He got it a week in advance. But I knew he was going to borrow it, so he could have YouTubed it beforehand. But here's what I did. I did nothing. And then when I got there, I tried to set it up. And then he called me and he's like, hey, you got a couple of minutes? I know. What's that thing about preparation? Yeah. Yeah, uh Preparation H. That's that's what I was thinking. Which was what was happening. He he was was doing the wrong thing. that burning feeling. Anyway, so we were having a round. We had a round table and uh, Pastor David Curtis was a part of it. Dr. Amy Castillo sat in. Joel Rosenauer, Bob Crookshank, Rick, Cherry, and myself. Yes. We all sat down and we were talking about. Oh, man, this is a good one. Yeah. Why don't you tell us what we were talking about, Rick? We talked about everything. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, that's quick. The roundtable right round in, in particular was um, the discussion of dispensationalism. A lot of us came up in dispensationalism, yes. and we were taught in a specific way, and we were talking about what it's like to unlearn that and then also how to look ahead because my brain still works dispensational. It really does. It does. And yep. so when I read the Bible, I'm still filtering through and that. And everybody does. Well, and that's what the apostles did, because they were Jews. That's right. right. They were, f- man, fantastic. Ta-da! Like you were there. Way to go. Anyway. I just listened to a podcast called Why Dispensationalism Must Die. Really? It is fantastic. Well, I... But it's not a preterist one. I know. It's a, different, it's a different one, but it's, they both want them to die. Just you die You still already. have to teach us about the seventh trumpet, because uh, Mike oh. Miano... I don't know if you heard that episode, but Mike wants to know what it is, too. He's like, what's she talking about? I was like, I don't know. we got to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a generational change. It takes several generations to change thinking. Yeah. Well, we've had quite a few to go. And it's- well, I, know, I, don't, I wasn't at the roundtable, but I have been listening to a couple of people who are not dispensationalists. And you know, one of the things that they said is, once you get past the apostolic and the people who studied right along with the apostles, yep. and they were their, I don't want to say protégés. They were. That might not be the right word, but they were their disciples, if yes, you will. Yes, that's right. And then as you got to, what, Augustine or Augustine or whatever, whichever way you pronounce his name, the Greek way of thinking came in. So no longer was it a Jewish way of thinking. It was a when the you know they were persecuted and sent out, and they were spread out. Yeah. It became more of a Greek way of thinking. So dispensationalism really hinges on some of that Greek Mm. methodology, the Greek way of thinking, as opposed to the Jewish way of thinking, which is how Jesus would have thought, Paul would have thought, Peter would have thought. Right. Um, And so I've been really kind of trying to unlearn that. Right. Because it does It's not easy. It's not easy. And it's granted, really I've only interesting, been, yeah, because we forget how much history there is in history. And I have a great chart I can share with you sometime, because I know you like charts. I love right? charts. Right, Carter? I love charts. Uh, so, yeah, I got a good chart that kind of explains it and how the Catholic Church kind of took that and ran with it for a couple of thousand say, years. Then the Catholics came in, and, and then, then they you've have, got the Protestants. Well, that, then they have what he calls for about 200 years the Age of Confusion, which is where Darby comes in, mm-hmm. which I didn't know who was a person until I've been listening to the podcast, Why It Must Die. And, um, but anyway, it's, it's really sort of, it's really interesting. And no I'm going to look that up. That's I'll, awesome. I'll, I'll, send, several, you, I'll send you a link. Yeah, the first several you. hundred years, they really weren't trying to make a religion out of it. I no. mean, that's not, no. what they're, that's not what they were all about. And then at a certain point, it's like, okay, we've got to come up with a book for this. And then, okay, we've got to come up. And then somebody's like, oh, well, we've got to have rules. Yes. <laughs> yeah, welcome. <laughs> welcome know? to the human race. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then the Catholics took over. And then you talk about rules and guilt. Oh, that, man. That right back to almost and being suppression Jewish. and... <laughs> What, if you get back to Joseph, when Joseph was in um, at the right hand of the Pharaoh, mm-hmm. it once it took two Pharaohs to, for everything to fall apart. That's right, just two. Well, they were there for four hundred years. Well, I mean that's a long time, but I, I don't. I think it was more than that. Those well, are old Pharaohs. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, they, they, as long as they lived, it didn't take very long before. Everything was forgotten. That's true. It was like the grandson. I think it was Ramses the second or something. Yeah, it didn't take long. Anyway, for people to so you, you guys would have loved this roundtable. And yes. by the way, there's a book called "The Rise and Fall of Dispensationalism" by uh, Daniel, uh, Doctor Daniel G. Hummel. I think so. Yep. And um, I got in touch with him, and Ooh. he's willing to be a guest on the show. Get out of town. Yep. He's a professor uh, at the uh, University of Wisconsin in Madison, and um, he 
uh, he does. I don't know if he's a professor. I, I need to. I need to double check that. It's on the back of his book. But anyway, so we were doing life from a di- from a per, per, uh, predator's perspective. That was yes. the, what the roundtable. The roundtable was, was like, yeah, we were we were kind of talking about what it's like to unlearn it, and and then uh, people like Joel and Amy, kind of along with their testimony, sort yep. of told you like their journey and why it helped them, and and you know how to move forward from that. The 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 most beautiful part is is that you get to see the scriptures from a whole different light, which is really cool. You know that was really neat. So we hope you guys enjoyed this uh, roundtable, and we'll talk to you at the end of it. All right. Well, we're all back here at the Berean Bible Church. We've listened to a couple of testimonies, Amy Castillo and Joel. Yeah, yeah Rosenauer, it was awesome. awesome. They were they were awesome, both powerful, powerful in their own way. And um, and thanks, Pastor Curtis. Absolutely. Yeah, for allow- allowing us to come here. Putting up with us. Yeah. <laughs> Some asses come hanging out with us. Uh, yeah, spe- yeah, yeah. We always get ourselves in trouble, and people are, you know— they don't, they don't, they, they, no, think, that's just you, Rick. You just no, get no. yourself in it's, trouble. It's you guys, and it's my humor. I can't help it. It's just that's my, my downfall. But, um, I wanted to get together with everybody because I am a full preterist. I know Rick is a full preterist, yes. which are, um, we're the only two on our podcast that, that are. We've had a few guests on the show, you know, and they question, like, well, wait a minute, are you guys full preterists? It's like, well, not everybody on the show is. You know, we have an atheist, we have partial preterists, we also have dispensationalists. Um, and so, uh, what I wanted to do though, is I wanted to talk to all of you. So I have here, I've got Rick Carter with me. Oh yeah. We've got Bob Crookshank. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Joel Rosenauer, right. Amy Castillo. I have the female voice. Yeah. And, and pastor, <laughs> and the last time it was <laughs> D. Nice Sullivan, but pastor Curtis is here also with us. Good to be here. Yeah. So, um, one of the things I think that all of us have in common as I, well, I know, you know, in Bob's testimony, he came up Roman Catholic, but there was there ever a point, Bob, where you were in dispensationalism? You know, the uh, churches we went to after we came out of Roman Catholicism and my mom got saved, my dad and then my brother and I, the churches we went to were mainly... Uh, and I do Pentecostal, know, sorry to interrupt, but these are omnidirectional. We're going to have to get our mouths in front of them. So if you have to turn it towards you, that's fine. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, sorry. That's perfect. Okay. Andy will thank me later. <laughs> I'll just back he up should. then. Yeah. Um, raised Roman Catholic. I do not believe I myself was ever dispensational because from a very early age, I had the questions in my mind. And if you go back to my testimony episode, you can see what I'm talking about. My, my friend had brought basically the time text up to me and I had the questions in the back of my mind. So while personally, I don't think I was ever a dispensationalist, I went to dispensational churches. But the thing that really bothered me, I remember, I don't know how old I was, but I remember I had heard, you know, abortion, abortion. When I finally heard what abortion was, I thought it was horrific And the churches I was going to, to their credit, they thought it was horrific and stuff like that. But everything, every social ill, every um, bad thing culturally, everything was almost a good thing because it was a sign of the rapture because things are supposed to get worse. Um, And in the back of my mind, I had always thought to myself, you know, there's something going on because this generation, but I could never put two and two together and I always thought to myself, okay, we know these things are bad, but everybody doesn't seem to want to do anything about it too much because 
things are supposed to be that way. So when I came to preterism and uh, found that first book by Gary, that just opened a whole new world to me. Um, Basically, it confirmed a lot of what I had felt as a teenager growing up, um, how I had felt about the problems in our culture and what we should do about them and uh, our reaction to them should be more than just, hey, this is the way things are supposed to be. So that's kind of my story there in a nutshell. Yeah, Um, but it seems like all of us have a similar beginning, you know, and that's because of how prevalent dispensationalism came in. And there's a book by Daniel Hummel called The Rise and Fall of Dispensationalism that I recently got. I've been reading it, um, spoke with him. He's actually going to come on the show. I'm very excited to have him uh, to talk about this because, you know, Pastor Curtis jokingly was like, fall? You know, what do you mean? Like, well, you know, (laughs) we see um, there was a time in American history whenever uh, this was not the doctrine, the, the, this dispensationalism was not the doctrine. Now, they still had a future look, but it wasn't the same as Darbyism, which came from the Plymouth Brethren, which was out of Great Britain and then worked its way over here. They argued fiercely against it. I know Spurgeon was an opponent oh, yeah. of Darby, and they fought it. Um, but when it, when it got here into America, then it took off like a wildfire, and it went across the nation, and the reason why, obviously, uh, Darby came here. He met with, I believe his name was James Brooks. And then there was D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody was a huge proponent of this doctrine. And what I learned is that during, you guys know the Scopes Monkey Trial, right? Where Darwinism, you know, and they were, they were talking about teaching in schools. And during the Scopes Monkey Trial, when Clarence Darrow was there and he was like hammering down, there was like this, the church started to back away because science became more prevalent. And they were talking about it instead of from a creation point of view, they were looking at it from an evolutionist point of view. And so it became like the thing to talk about. And so a lot of the churches started backing off. And when they did, a lot of these men created these institutes like the Moody Bible Institute, like Dallas Theological Seminary School. And these were, they were pumping out ministers teaching this dispensational doctrine, which came from rightly dividing the word of truth, C.I. Schofield and the Schofield Bible and all that stuff. They were, you know, everybody has a Schofield Bible, at least I, you and I have one. You know, I don't want it anymore, but I, we have one. And, um, but so it, it pushed it all the way across the country. And then everybody adopted this view. And the next thing you know, it's like they're looking at everything in their generation. And this is the sign of the times. And it's big and it's exactly. huge. And it's only really here in our country. Yeah, It's not everywhere else in the world. And that was what surprised me because I thought everybody believed this, but they don't. And so- Didn't it also happen around the period of time of the Civil War? That's really whenever they were passing out the Schofield Bibles were during, I think, the Civil War, right? Or right, yeah, they were giving the Bibles out so to you the had soldiers. That time period where you had this tremendous amount of fear, a lot of death, a lot of killings going on for whatever reason there may be at that particular time, which have all been somewhat political. So you have this, the prime ground for people to believe in that there is going to be a Savior coming mm-hmm. to get to stop all of this fighting. To yeah, stop we're going to get this, out of here. Yes. Yeah, the escapist mentality. So I know, I know and love a lot of people that are still in this, and, and I know that it is not true. 
And this is a doctrine that is being held by the church. And this church believes that Christ is the Son of God, but it is not true. So what do we do? How do we discuss this? How do we open up this without suddenly from the doctrines of devils? Yeah, Joel, what do you think? What do we do? I think part of it is is helping um, people understand at least a little bit of the history. Um, one thing is to, to, help, to help them see that it's a, it's a very new teaching. And um, Darby, especially, just from my own setting, and, and a lot of people have, have done more, I'm sure, but he, he took what might have been some ideas that weren't all that connected and kind of disparate and, and put them together, and, and especially his his separation of, of Israel as God's chosen people and the church as something else was, from what I can tell, a complete invention. There was nothing ever like that before. Right. Um, and and I, I don't think a lot of Christians know that. And it's, it's you know, I was a pastor, and, and so I had kind of a unique role in, in maybe getting a sense of how people are looking at the scriptures. And, and most Christians, understandably, even those that study the Bible, and I would say, from my experience, most don't for whatever reason, but those that do, if they're using other sources, they're using modern commentaries, which makes sense. I mean, if I'm somebody and I'm just I'm going to start studying the Bible, am I going to pick up you know the kind of the latest popular commentary, or am I going to go pick up something you know from several hundred years ago? Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing is that um, so they just don't realize that for a lot of people they think that dispensationalism, even if they don't know that what that word is, they think well that's what everyone's always believed. Of, of course, there's just such a, an assumption that it's true. And I think even pointing out to people, even saying something like, well, did you know that if you were to look at some other writings, you know, before the last couple hundred years or so, that really nobody, that nobody believed those same things. And, and just, and, and I have found some believers will, might listen to that. And some are just, if they're just convicted, if they're convicted of their own beliefs, no matter what, they might not listen. But I, I do think that's a first step is just helping Christians understand um, this is a, f- a fairly new thing. And if you look back at other at other people, even very well-known, you know, Christians of the past, they didn't believe this. And I think that can at least open the door for further discussion. Right. And mainly it was um, amillennial positions, right? Post-millennial positions that were being told. And, yeah. and they had a future look, but it wasn't the same as what's being proposed. Yeah. Which is a predominant, very large amount of, the, of Americans. Right. And, and that believe a- this today. And it's a huge deal because ideas have consequences. And I, I did a, a series at one point talking a little bit about, um, you know, the founding founding fathers and just their, without talking about a lot of eschatology specifically, but talking about, the, you know, they, they had a lot of hope for things. And there's there's a reason why so many of the hospitals in America are St. You know, Paul or St. Peter and, and the schools, yeah. literacy, all that came from an idea that they that they had a hopeful hopeful view, and they saw themselves as, as kind of this kingdom mentality of what, what can we do to, to better life for everybody. And, and literally, uh, you know, this was kind of a planned thing, and to be a very free society that can help the rest of the world. I don't think we'd have the America we do if they had been dispensational. Right. I would agree. I would agree with that. And now, Pastor Curtis, what, I know that you weekly, like you go out and you, you preach, you, you study, you talk, you tell everybody to read the Bible— we know that a lot of people don't read the Bible. Okay, so um, something that happened in your life, you remember seeing a tract, right? You received a tract. Um, what about preterist tracts? Uh, I don't know. I never really thought of that. Um, I think it might be a good idea, but I think one of the biggest hindrances we face is people don't read their Bible. 
Right. Okay, so you can't have a discussion with someone about the Bible when they don't know anything about the Bible. Now, they believe dispensationalism because that's what they hear. The Lord's coming back. They've heard that, so they know the Lord's coming back. But if you tried to pin them down to why, they probably couldn't take you anywhere in Scripture. And so that's a hindrance because if you try to talk to them because of embarrassment or whatever, they just back away and I'm not even going to talk to you about this. Right. You know, so that's that's a difficulty we face. And how do we overcome that? You just have to find some people, I guess, that are willing to listen. You know, and if you could throw out a few things and teach them a few things about hermeneutics, it, it makes a huge difference, you know, when they start seeing the Bible in the proper light. I think one of the problems that led to dispensationalism dispensationalism's rise was the fact that liberalism at that time was saying Jesus was wrong. Okay, he said he's coming back soon. The disciples were wrong. They said they were coming back soon. They were wrong. And so dispensationalists said, well, well, not really because he said soon, but we stopped the clock. Mm-hmm. You know, dispensationalism, they have a, okay, time out. And now, so soon doesn't matter right now. And it was an, it was an explanation that people could, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. So, you know, I, I think that was part of the spread. Okay, now we know why he said soon, but he didn't come soon because we stopped a clock and we're in intermission right now, you know? And it's, you know, he's dealing with the church now, but he's going to go back to Israel later and then the clock will start and it'll be soon again. So, and that kind of nonsense people just bought into. But again, I, I really think the real problem is we, we've got to try to get people back into the scripture reading it, you know? Yes. It, they just, they don't do it. That's the, the I think you agree, the, that's the formulation, what makes dispensationalism so strong, is you don't have people re- reading, you have pastors that are choosing and picking and not going over subjects or topics or books that, that would refute their own message. So they're staying to a, um, a set script that'll never touch anything that any any amillennialist, postmillennialist, any preterist would do Immediately, they don't ever touch it ever, and then you got people that never read, so they don't read to refute. You know, they'll read and refute the daily paper, and, and we can sit in a discussion over politics and we refute each other every day over that because we're reading that, but we're not reading something more important at all, and we can't even refute who we're supposed to believe in. As I was heard recently, it almost becomes that parental um, dynamic with our pastors that we give them the authority to be our parent and our teacher and our instructor because we're taught as kids from our parents, you listen to me, it's a dictatorship moment for the time being, and this is who I am. I'm telling you what's right and wrong. Well, that's how it is in a lot of churches. You just believe what you're told. Don't dare question it. You start asking questions, they give you the right foot, the right s- foot of fellowship they, right they, away. They, okay. right, yes. <laughs> Boom, out the door you go. Because they don't they don't want to be questioned no. okay, about that. Now, I, I taught dispensationalism, and it's an impossible system. I mean, as I taught it, I read the material, and I'm like, how do those verses come anywhere near saying what they're trying to say? But that's what you did because you were part of the system. you know. But the whole time I taught it, I just thought something's wrong here. It's just too complicated. You know, remember the charts and the graphs and, the, you know, I had Dake's annotated reference Bible with all these notes and charts and and I still, you just end up scratching your head. And you come along to Preterism and go, oh, it's simple. <laughs> he said this, that happened, boom. No chart, no Don't graph, know. no nothing, you know? Go home. The verses fit with what they say. It's it's amazing, you well, know? That, yeah, and if you wouldn't mind passing the mic over to Amy. The, one of the things that it, from Amy's testimony 
that that really was powerful to me was that you suddenly had this happiness after everything that you described that you went through in your life that you had this moment in time when you actually got to read the Bible and then you started studying it and then you started to know things. And I think that's the mystery of a dispensationalist. There's so much mystery that we don't, we don't really know other than the basics, the basics tenet of our faith. Wouldn't you say that? Like for yourself, like you, you were shrouded in mystery. You were in a lot of pain. You were a lot of things, but you get to this place where you give us this giant list of happiness. They're like, why, you know? Well, uh, along those lines, one of the ways I've decided to um, share this with my friends who mostly, they're not all dispensationalists, but they're all futurists, is that I know people don't read their Bible and they, they are afraid to read the book of Revelation. They've been told, a lot of people told me, you can't read it. Don't read it because you can't understand it anyway until it happens in the future, even though it says, yeah. you know, <laughs> believers, you know, bond servants are supposed to read in the first, in the first chapter. So sometimes I'll pull it up on my phone and I'll pull up Revelation like one through nine. And all I show, show them are the highlighted parts that say, see these words, near, soon, near, you know, and um, those who pierced him. And then I show them the end of Revelation 22. They you know, go through that chapter and I show them all the near, soon, you know, there's like near, soon, at the door, all, and coming quickly. Would and, you like to do that right now? Would you like to share it with me as if I was a, like, one of, let's say I was one of your friends. I've got the Bible on my phone. Let's read Revelations 1 through 9. Do that. Do you mind to do that? I'll, I'll show you how I, 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 do you told, some, your, I told my cousin yesterday. Well, why don't you do that <laughs> I mean, with and me? Here's, because you I know, because you really need to pick something that you feel confident that you know, have some little plans, because it's very overwhelming. So I'm trying to learn ways to tell people where I have a few different plans that I can remember. I don't get, because I get nervous. I get nervous. They're going to reject me. And my cousin handled it quite well. Well, we have a, okay. So uh, we have a lot of listeners that are dispensational. Okay. Yes. yes okay. And we have we have a lot of listeners that are full preterists. So this is a good exercise for all of us. Let's let's talk about this. So let's say you, that you are you have a dispensationalist mind, and everything is completely future. And we still love you. Yeah. I was going to just say that I, they are my, they are my good friends. If they hear this, you know, they know I love them. We do love them. No, when we say we believe that what we've discovered and what we've learned through reading the scriptures, thanks glory to God, we have understood this that we want to tell you this because this is not as mysterious as you think it is. We're just reading the Bible. We have to remember the hermeneutic of audience relevance. We have to listen to these time statements and they have to matter to the audience that received this book. We're really we're reading Revelation chapter one, or you're gonna, you're gonna share with us, but in Revelation, this was written nearly 2,000 years ago, okay? There's, there's arguments about the date, but I think it was prior to the destruction of the temple in AD 70. I would say somewhere in AD 66 to AD 68, 69, somewhere. So that's, and if you want to learn all about that, you can. But um, think about the audience that was to hear the prophecy. So share with us. And just to say that when I'm telling my friends, it's not because I'm trying to shove this on them. I'm so excited about it. Yes, we all are. That I, I've, I've warned them already. I've changed my mind. I've changed my theology. I'm so excited. I've been reading. I've been reading. I've been reading. So finally, um, you will go on a hike together or something happens. They'll say, well, tell me about, you keep telling me how excited you are. So it's more like that. It's just like a personal thing where you want to share it with somebody. Absolutely. And this is not an escapist mentality. This is we are going to get engaged in our world. And we don't think that it's over. We are going. To, we are the arbiters of good and peace and love and mercy, and we are bringing that message. And we can still fix it. Yes, we can. 
We can, we can work together. And that is our job as the believers in Christ, that we are the church. We are supposed to be the light to bring that light to the world. That's what gave me excitement because I wasn't bringing a whole lot of light. I was talking about, we were going to snuff this out in the dark pretty soon. We're leaving, but that's not the case. It's the opposite. So we do love you. We want people to know that. Okay, so share with us. Well, and then it, usually this is a visual thing. I have highlights on here, so I don't read the whole thing. I just show them the little bits, but since this is a podcast, like in verse one, it says it's written to his bondservants and it says must soon take place right there. The things which must soon take place. Yeah, but that's could be thousands of years. Right? I know. Well, I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> yeah, at least let me give if a- If you couldn't hear him, that, Pastor Curtis said that could of, be thousands of, of years. Uh, End of verse three, it says, for the time is near. All I'm trying to point out is that there are time statements. This is where I'm starting. Yes. Right? And then, um, let's see, in seven, it says, every eye will see him, those who pierced him. So I'll mention that sounds like, you know, those people were back in that time. Yep. And I also mentioned in nine, it says, John is a fellow partaker in the tribulation in the kingdom. So seems to be, he's saying, um, this is happening at my time. Then yep. I go to the last Again, I'm no expert in this, but I go to 22. That's okay. You're sharing. That's what I'm talking about. And I say about. this is bookending it, you know? Yeah, we're not all experts, but that's the point. We do understand it, and we want to share it with you. These things were near to them. It was near to them. So then here, at the end of Revelation in 6, end of verse um, verse 6, it says the things which must soon take place. I'm yeah, just this telling is the them book time words. Of everything yeah. you just heard in Revelation because keep is a in bookended. Mind, People don't read it. They don't understand it. They've been told not to read it. So I'm shedding any light on it, but I don't really have a high bar here, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, 10 says, end of 10 says, the time is near. 12 says, behold, I am becoming, I am coming quickly. And I believe at the very end, says it again. 20, verse 20 says, yes, I am coming quickly. So I'll put that up on my TV, something like that. And I'll just show them, see all these time verses. And then I'll tell them it sure does sound like this book could be about the first century. And then I'll tell them I have a theory that this could have been like a type of war code like they had in one of the world wars where they you know, wrote the, the code in Navajo so that the enemy couldn't read it. And to me, this seems like a, it's a warning and that's why it's hyperbolic imagery. It's written in like war code so that- John had an enigma machine. Yeah, yeah. That's how right. we did it. But it's so that the people who are supposed to understand it can understand it and the enemy cannot understand it. So um, then I tell them, you know, this is a mess. This book is a message to them to get out because you would think you'd run to a city, but then I'll go into Josephus and what I know about how um, he describes how uh, the Christian Jews read this and knew to leave. The other people ran from this Roman Jewish war, ran into the city. So there were more people in there. And then during the Passover, Titus picked a great time to surround the city because more Jews came for that. And then here they all are. And once it was surrounded, you were done. Right. You could not get out. You were done. So the people needed a several year warning to get out. So, I mean, people hear that and they hear, they go, huh, oh, that is a really interesting theory because they don't really have one for themselves. So this no, is kind of where mean, I start. Exactly. So the Lord Jesus warned his disciples and he was talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 24 when he's telling them when all of these things are going to take place, answering the three questions, you know, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? When will these things be take place, right? And Jesus is answering all of these questions in, in Matthew 24, what we call all of a discourse. And so when he tells them, when you see these things flee to the mountains, it's such a localized thing. And I remember Andy's son, man, 
<laughs> Andy, the atheist, like, I'm screwed. I'm nowhere near Judea. <laughs> and I was like, well, it's so cool that he picked up on that. I was like, yeah, it's so localized, right? You know, even he could see it. But when you're so indoctrinated and you're hearing these things week to week and they're skipping over it, you miss it. That's why, that's what's the joy of having Andy is because he is an ear that doesn't hear this stuff all the time. It, please do. So, and a lot of people know this pastor, his name is Greg Laurie, and, um, and uh, I learned some good things from him, but I watched, a, he did like an overview of Revelation maybe a couple of years ago or so, and, and one of the interesting things is to go, go on YouTube and see how many hits like these, these big time dispensational preachers get, you know, compared to some people who believe what we, we believe. But I think this video had like, you know, 560,000 Watch, people that had watched it or something. But what he said, he, he had an overview, and he, he's doing his little intro, and this is pretty much verbatim what he said. He said, John's problem was that he didn't understand how to use language for his time to communicate events to take place in the 21st century. Mm. Um, and that's, that's sort of, and I literally kind of wow. laughed and almost fell out of my chair at the same time. And if I would have been there, I would have said, Pastor Laurie, Respectfully, your problem <laughs> yeah. is that you're hijacking something. John knew exactly what he was saying. He was writing to those people, and you're trying to tell us that it was something for us. Right. But but when we start seeing that and just, you know, like Amy pointed out, so well, what if it was really for these for these people? I mean, I know other people have, have heard the same example, but if I, you know, let's let's say, uh, you know, Bob's sitting next to me here. Let's say he had a letter. I said, what's that? He says, that's something that somebody gave to me. And if I just picked it up and said, no, Bob, I think that's my letter and started reading it, it would <laughs> right. be ridiculous. But that's exactly what we've done with the Bible. Yeah. And that, and you're exactly right. I mean, it's, um, and that was another Andyism the way he put it. He was like, it's like a, it's like you're reading somebody else's mail. Yeah. You know, and I've heard Pastor Curtis say that same thing. And I would like, yeah, totally. It's a dialogue in the past that, that God allowed us to have today. Right. And we are missing the opportunities right now because we're believing something that's a lie. Right. And I think that people are, are, are sort of afraid of sometimes, as I've heard people say this, oh, you're saying it has nothing to do with us. No, no, no. There are tons of applications for us. But if we don't understand what the interpretation was in the first place, we'll, yeah. we'll misapply it. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, Amy sharing the time statements, that's the bottom line. But the problem is with the time statements, people think, yeah, he's coming soon. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. They don't understand. I always start out by saying, "Who is this book written to?" Right. And they just look at you like me, and I'm like, "No, <laughs> really." It tells you in the first chapter who yeah. was it written yeah. to? To the seven churches in Asia Minor in the first century. He names the seven churches. This is who he's writing to. And then, like you said, the time statements bracket the book. There's seven of them. You know, two in the beginning and five in the end. And so you got this seven you know, number bracketing the whole book and it's all going to happen. Now, I never heard anybody say the thing you're talking about, don't read the book of Revelation because you won't understand it until it happens. Well, then it's going to be kind of late because I just took the mark of the beast and now I find right, out right. I can't buy or sell because I took it. Well, I didn't take it before. Oh, you know, I mean, it'd be nice to read it ahead of time to have some advance warning, I think, you know? Yeah, or, or for Greg Laurie, I'd never heard that before, to be able to think, to actually have the mindset that John didn't understand yes. that this would be the number, what the number was of a man, and that if you take this, you can't do these things. He was warning them then. And that's another Andy thing. I keep bringing yeah. it up, I wish he was here, because <laughs> yes. he was like, yeah, but what did it mean for them then? Like, what was actually <laughs> happening? 
And it's like, how do you point that out? Because and he's that's not hermeneutics, which yes. people have never heard. Most yes. people, most Christians in the church have never heard the term hermeneutic. Right. That's something my preacher studied in school. That's what we were, that's what we thought. I just hear Herman who? They don't have a clue what you're talking about. You know, they really don't. And that's a sad thing because preachers aren't putting that out. So therefore the Bible is to them, they take it like a newspaper. And the convenient thing that helps um, any dispensational preacher that they really don't have to go over it at all, and they don't because nobody ever knows about it, is the big war that happened in 70 AD, the big destruction of the temple. I mean, the most dispensational I would say almost every one of them knows that there's no temple now, but they don't know what happened to the last one. Right. They don't really know what happened. They're anticipating the building of the new one. Yes. Which is bizarre. Yes. And that's a huge argument against the late date. This was written in 96 after the temple was destroyed and no one mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The destruction of their temple, their way of life, their sacrifices, it's all gone. Nobody mentions it. No. Mm -hmm. Not a chance. No. Yeah. Not that bad. No, <laughs> I mean not as bad as what happened. That was so significant, mm-hmm. and they know every Jewish person knows how significant it was. Yeah, go ahead. I, I had never heard anything about anything that happened in seventy A.D. I was telling someone that. Yeah, so I had a Jewish Orthodox doctor that um, worked next to me, maybe twenty years ago, and she really was the one that taught me how important the temple was to them, and and how their whole system. I just just so important. What a critical piece in history, and I had never heard it before, and neither have a lot of other people. They don't know anything happened then. So again, if I'm telling them about Revelation, maybe I'll just leave it there. I mean, this, you don't want to just run up to people and yell, Jesus returned, because they're not going to listen to you after what? that. This is this is all mine. That's what a track would do. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you know you missed him? That's true. Yeah. You, don't have to, you don't have to break the news there, but yeah, it's a lot on someone's mind who hasn't thought about any of this and didn't even know anything happened at 78. <laughs> we, we could call it the unraptured preterist. That would, that would be such a hard thing to read when but you're in the men's room yeah. and you get the track and you're like, I miss Jesus. Did you know that Jesus already came? That's what it would be. That's what a tract would look like from a preterist. But I'm wondering if it needs to be that shocking because that's the kind of, uh, Pastor Curtis, you got one about Christianity. It was in your face, right? And you read it. And how many people are, are you going to hell? And I'm not saying that's the right way to handle it, but those were, those things sort of like shocked us. And I was wondering, you know, do we want to do something similar do we want to get people to at least think about it? So when you were talking about the temple, that Orthodox Jewish woman. So for me, um, one of the arguments that I had heard against the idea of, you know, that is because it was so localized that the rest of the Roman world really didn't know about it. So it didn't matter. And I've heard that too. But I was like, yes, but Jesus Christ was born a Jew. He was born a Hebrew in this land. And he was there in Jerusalem talking at their center of worship this is who it mattered to. And he's telling them, and he comes, he comes into his own and his own receive him not. So is it a giant shock in the world? Yes. And no, the rest of the world doesn't know it. And that's not a big surprise. But then you got pastors like Hagee telling people the Jews don't need the gospel. That's totally wrong. They have their own covenant with God. And I'm like, does this guy read the Bible? I mean, for 10 years, they didn't go to the Gentiles. It was all in Judaism, was all localized. It took him 10 years to get outside and start preaching it, but he's like, oh, the Jews didn't need it. Well, who did Christ preach to? Right. It was all Jews. Why is he telling them that if they don't need the gospel? Right. I mean, this is just so self-evident, but yet you watch these hundreds of thousands of people sitting there listening to Hagee and nodding, and yeah, amen, amen. I'm like... He was blinded by the blood moons. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Repeatedly, Paul said to the Jew first, then the Gentile. His message, his gospel that he was preaching was to the Jew first, then to the Gentiles. So to say that the Jews don't need it is a lie to the face of the Bible itself. His whole time preaching, he preached to Jews. What was he doing? Exactly. They don't need you. Guys, this is not for you, but later on you can tell <laughs> Gentiles about this, okay? Don't don't pay attention to it. You don't need it. You right. got your own covenant with God. And yeah, exactly. You know, so let's think about it from a dispensational point of view. Think about what Jesus said. That um, you know, unless a seed goes into the earth and dies, right? And then it can't grow, and then it begins to grow. And we see the kingdom of heaven that does that. Now let's think about how it affected the world. So Jesus Christ died, was buried, and on the third day he resurrected. He gets up, he's on the on the earth for 40 days. He ascends into heaven. Um, Stephen sees him at some point standing at the right hand of the Father. You've got Peter that's preaching, you know, prior to that. He's at the temple, at the center of worship, saying, and then 3,000 people come to the believing knowledge, you know, of Jesus Christ, right? Huge moment. In this, and these are all Jews. Let's remember that. Peter was a Jew. John was a Jew. All these people were Jews. And the people that were getting saved were from other parts of the world. And God is telling him to eat bacon. <laughs> he is. And, and, yeah, can I get an amen? Freedom. Freedom, yeah. So, you want to talk about a shock? I thought it was interesting how Peter was like, don't tell me to eat something that's unclean. I like, whenever you see things in the Bible, I always thought that was the wildest thing. Whenever Paul gets saved radically, you know, after being knocked down, and he goes to the house of Ananias, whenever Ananias says, go to, go to Paul and help him, you know, and he was like, do you know who this guy is? I mean, he's talking to God Almighty. Do you know how bad this dude is? It's like, that was bizarre to me. Well, anyway, Peter says, not so, Lord. Not so, Lord. <laughs> what? Exactly. Rise, kill, and eat. Not so, not Lord. So, I've Lord. never done anything. I can't right. eat anything unclean. Right. Yeah, okay. So, uh, but I think, so we, we see all these things that have happened, and the church is beginning to grow. Right, and so no, it didn't. It didn't seem like these things affected. So the temples destroyed. Ah, oh, nobody else in the world noticed. Well, guess what? Two hundred and thirty years later, there's a emperor of Rome who's a Christian named Constantine. That is the evidence of growth going throughout the world, just like Jesus right. said would happen. Right. Exactly as he said it would happen. So that event that happened in AD seventy, and the Romans did it. It was only just a couple hundred years later about as long as you've known dispensationalism in America. And then the Roman emperor was a Christian and it became the religion of the world. Just like that. So, and again, it's the same time frame, 200, 230 years. So yeah, I mean, I think it's easy, it's, it's easy to dispel it and say, no, there's, it's not possible. There's no way Jesus came. What we're saying is that what Jesus said he was going to do he did it. And that makes me so happy. It does. I'm not, you know, I had Derek Lambert of all people told me, he's like, you're just, everybody, you're just trying to save the Savior. I was like, you're so arrogant. I can't believe you would look at me and say, I'm trying to save my Savior. He, did, he saved me. And he did everything that he said he was going to do. You know? Like that's, that's, it's so bizarre to me. But so for our dispensationalist brethren, who, who don't accept us as brethren. We know this isn't easy and none of us came about it easy. This took us some time and we really had to read the Bible. Do you think the dispensationalists don't view us as Christians? 
Yeah. I never have gotten that from a dispensational. No. I get it from I the partial that, preterist. Yeah. That, the reform yes. partial preterist. That's where I see it coming from. Yeah, you're but right. I've never really felt that from the dispensationalists. Well, you know? I, I do. Yeah, you, I, I okay. have. Yeah, I personally have with mine, because they, you know, they think I've gone totally off script. Yeah. I'm totally left field. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. That's what they think. And, and so I, not yet for me. Dispensationalism, no. Um, partial preterism, yes. Now, the partial preterist is like the comment that you made during the other podcast. They'll just tell you that you're not a Christian. The dispensations won't. Yeah. They just turn their back on you. Yeah. Or they're, it's like they're nicer about it. Like Mike Sullivan says, they call me a damnable heretic. You know, and it's like, hmm. well, and and well, so let's let's talk about that this one idea here then. One of the reasons why people don't want to go all the way is because historically the church didn't. That's the argument, right? You've heard this. Historically, the church didn't go all the way with this. And so how do we answer those questions in a tract form? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, did you guys know that you missed it for 2,000 years? No, so, which is basically what we're saying. But there were some people in history that, you know, that came across this. I know, I think the earliest thing that I've seen was like in the 1400s when a Jesuit priest was trying to argue the point of if Christ had already came. But because historically in the creeds and the confessions and all that, the church has not, has at least had some futurist view. And I think that that would be true for all of us. We all have a futurist of we're going to die someday. We do believe that. So there's enough in the scriptures that tells us that everything that Christ did works presently and future for us because of what he did in the past. So how do we answer that question when they say, historically the church didn't believe this, so what do you have to say for yourself? What would you say, Bob? Well, I would agree with them that historically, for probably the most part, with very few exceptions, um, you could say for all intents and purposes, the church hasn't believed this. And historically, the church has held to an eschatology of defeat that comes in one of three forms. And yes, even what we call post-millennialism is an eschatology of defeat because at the end of the day, they still got Gog and Magog in the future. At the end of the day, the nations that oppose Christ and his people are as numerous as the sands of the sea. So at the end of the day, there's no real victory if that's how great the opposition is to Christ. So I include them in the eschatologies of defeat. And they have dominated for 2,000 years. And what's been the result? Look out the window. Turn on the news. Look at the world. The church is dropping the ball. God's people aren't doing their job. So if they want to brag about the fact that they've they've been the dominant eschatology for the last 2,000 years, you can have it. I say it's time for a change. And if the world's not ending tomorrow, and we are going to be here for a very, very long time, 2,000 years is just the infancy stage of all of this, if you think about it that way. And I think the Holy Spirit's moving. I think God's people are waking up, and this is still the infancy stage. And I think once more and more people catch on to the vision 
of the power of fulfilled eschatology, maybe we will start making the difference in the world that we're supposed to make. So that, I yeah. mean, that's how I'd answer it. One of the things that, I don't know if you all would agree with me, but I think that the founding fathers of our nation had it better than we could have even imagined. The way that they described how to contain the government of people and the, they acknowledged the creator. Now, they don't mention Jesus, but they acknowledge the creator, the outside moral judge over the nation for wherewith we hold all these things together. And I think that they had a framework set up, which is Christ and his kingdom. I, I see it that way. In, in my opinion, the Constitution is one of the most beautiful documents written by man who are saying, we are going to treat all men. Now, granted, historically, maybe it wasn't the same as we mean it today, but the document that they made can be reinterpreted constantly. We just have to be careful because we're taking morality out of it, but they put morals in it when they wrote it, right? It was there. But I see that as a victorious, free world that we have used against ourselves. And, free, and a lot of it is dispensationalism that did it. Yes. It started undoing our freedoms. Started undoing our freedoms and freedom's the key. And just to, to your point about the federal constitution, I feel that they didn't feel the need because... Christ was acknowledged in the constitutions on the state level. Yeah. Um, and we have to understand that our founders didn't really view things the way we view them today with this heavy top-down bureaucratic system. The foundation of the system was the individual states. And if you go back to the original state constitutions, they're very full of what people today would call religious language. Um, as a matter of fact, if you, um, we had mentioned Gary DeMar on the beginning of the podcast, his book, God in Government, uh, really good. He has a, another book, I forget the title escapes me, but he goes into those uh, state constitutions and the acknowledgements that they made. Um, so I just feel like the need wasn't there on the federal level because it was already done on the state level. Uh, I didn't want to. Well, the, you the know, whole reason I bring that up because too much, as our but... nation, um, a lot of our presidents over the last couple hundred years were dispensational. So let's think. Let's use a Zionistic. couple of recent ones and Zionist. Yes. So if you don't understand that, listener, what they mean is that, um, like a lot of our defense spending goes towards Israel. The whole idea is that everything's going to come and happen. This culminate. This culminating event of Armageddon at Israel. We spend, what is it, $12 billion a year in the defense of Israel? I think that's how much it is. I can't remember. Forgive me if I'm wrong. I'll look that up and do some fact check. Or listeners that like the fact check me, go fact check that one. <laughs> so, but we do, we spend a lot of money. And, and email everything to uh, Giraffe Studios. Please. Yeah, andy.bishop <laughs> at, no, but we have, so if you think about, let's talk about um, the way that Ronald Reagan looked at the future or the way that, um, for for example, Russia has always been looked at. Everybody looks at the nation of Russia as, you know, where everything's going to come from them, right? The Gog and Magog thing and... Oh, Roche. Roche. Yeah. yeah, Roche and all that crap. Prince of Roche. It's total crap. It is total crap. Look at these letters are the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it means red, and so that's Red Army. And so, we, yeah. Well, but think about it. As a nation... 
if there's, okay, so you got a world of believers that think that your nation is always going to be the evil one. But that's not even what it says. But that is what America thinks. They do. Am I wrong? No, they do. And that's never going to change. Well, that's the media driving. Well, it is, but it's also the church. The church that's listening to these prophetic preachers telling them that Russia is going to do this and then Iran's going to do this. So now Iran will always be your enemy. Russia will always be your enemy. And so if you start talking about something other than that, like I know, you know how many Russians that I know that are wonderful, beautiful people? I know a lot of them personally that actually live in America and they're wonderful people. They're not the enemy but we think they are because dispensationalists have told us this forever and everybody is waiting on these countries to get, okay, here it comes. These countries are going to come down and they're going to destroy Israel. Well, we got to put all our money and all our efforts into it. For what? Why are you trying to stop it then if you think that's what's going to end it? No, no, you got some people that are pushing it. That's the Zionist movement and your other people. That is our worldview in America, by and large. Yeah, very Zionistic. And they are definitely self-fulfilling these things. And they're going to do a lot of damage, and it's really doing nothing. Do you know what I mean? What was your original question about history, and was this seen in history? Um, well, my biggest question was, you know, the church didn't adopt. They looked at, you know, a future. And we're saying that, well, at AD 70, that all things were fulfilled. Now, we know that there is ongoing fulfillment. Obviously, we've all become believers in the present but we're not looking to a future coming of Christ in the same way that the Bible describes. So, but you said something about they, they want us to where in history is this taught, you know, where, when well, I hear that question, the you know, never where, where is this taught in history? You know, the church taught this. I asked them if they ever heard of the Reformation. Mm. I mean, which to me, why you got to argue about salvation? You know, at that point in the game, in we the don't 1500s. even have salvation straightened out. Okay, so if they're arguing about salvation, this is not even on the same level, and there's never been a council, a church council on eschatology. Right. And the church has never dealt with it. Right. So that— Especially when all the churches are mainly dispensational, so it would, it would dissolve itself. <laughs> <laughs> and I always ask the question, how do we open the books again? How do we do it? Yes. How does the church begin this giant eschat eschatology talk? Where do we get? Where do we open the? Books I think and, we're doing it now. I, I just think you know. I hear from people every day. You know yeah. that you know pastors and people just uh, they're coming to this view. They see this. The internet's helped immensely. Yes. You know, you try to do a study on the internet, you're going to get something about eschatology, and you're going to be like, wow. You yeah. know, some guy wrote me last week. What he was looking at a totally different subject, but he came to our our website. You know, and he was and all of a sudden he got into preterism. And he's like, you just blew my mind. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he goes, but I'm no longer dispensationalist. I'm a preterist now, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, Amen. he just never heard. And I think there's a lot of people out there. They just they're sitting in churches where nothing's being taught, so they're not going to learn. They're not going to grow. They need to even hear that there's such a thing. You can't believe something you never knew existed. Mm -hmm. But I think it is happening. I think, but again, I, I really think it's grassroots. I don't, you know, the the degreed people. You know, they they got too much to lose to in support of this. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the that I guess, you know, when we talk about what well, the church never really taught it, but it's like the scriptures themselves teach it. So maybe the church has given this information and put it in, you know, but a lot of those men that wrote those letters died as soon as they wrote them. And it was written. 
we just have interpreted incorrectly. Right. right. That, that's what I would say. And, and to me, and, and uh, Pastor Curtis kind of said it earlier, you look at this and it's actually simple. Like, like I had a guy, uh, um, when I, this was like a few months into my journey into this eschatology, and I was, another guy I'd called up and he, he's like, what's been most surprising to you? And I said, how clear this is. I mean, this to me is one of the clearest things far and away in Scripture. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of other things, too, where, where I'm not as clear. And, it, and it's so easy, but, but you have to get all the presuppositions out of the way first. But, I, but I'd answer that question, you know, if somebody said, well, you know, it hasn't been taught in church. I, yeah, I'd go back to the Scriptures because we talk about as Christians that they have authority. And that doesn't mean that there aren't other writings that are helpful doesn't mean church fathers. I always think the apostles should really be called the church fathers. You know, they really were. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but because all men are fallible. In fact, being from Idaho, of course, we say sometimes, remember that all the commentators are just commentators. Yeah. So we just got to remember that. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> but but at any rate, if you go back to the scripture, and what I found is can be helpful, and, we, you know, we should try to do it graciously, but if I can get people to see, <laughs> you're not really arguing with me because I don't have authority, they don't have authority, but you're, you're saying something different than what Jesus said. You're saying something different than what Paul said. You're saying something different than what Peter said. Are you are you comfortable with that? Right. And and nobody should be if they're a believer. And that's the thing to to help them just go back to the, and get them to argue with the scriptures. And that can be really helpful. I know that one of the arguments and and, and Pastor Curtis handles this very well is the Hymenaean Philetus argument, which is you know oh well even back then they were thinking oh this has happened and they got it wrong, but then that would be one of those moments whenever you could say. Right. We'll look out the window. Right. I know it's a pro-preterist argument, actually. It is a pro-preterist <laughs> argument. Yeah. It's like, no, you know, Hymenaeus and Philetus were actually purporting a wrong doctrine, and they didn't, they knew that their world hadn't been destroyed. So they thought of it in a different way. They saw that this was actually a spiritual event that was coming. And he was like, no, there are some physical things that have to happen. They just haven't yet. And so that's how Paul was able to argue that. So whenever I hear people like Doug Wilson and them argue that point, I'm like, that's such a weak argument. You, you're actually proving our point more. Right. You right. Know? <laughs> right. And so that's what we want. You know, and that's what I really want our listeners to, to do is dig in and, and read the Bible for yourself. We say it over and over and over, and I don't know why, but you just don't want to. And so, you know, much in like Amy Castillo's life where she just had something where she could actually, she had to do it. This was the moment and she did it, much like in your life with COVID, you know, and for you, uh, Pastor Curtis, there was a moment when you just, you had this voracious appetite for the Bible. Joel, you said the same thing. We just, it happens. And as soon as you open that book and you just read it and read it and read it, all of these things start to unfold. And ask the Lord to help you to understand it. You know, we're not trying to, to hurt you. We want you to see the world you actually live in. We were talking earlier about that track. It was shock value. But, you know, here's the thing. People are not going to believe something they never heard. Yeah. But if you put it out there, the Lord returned. There's people that believe that. Then all of a sudden you're like, oh. I mean, I was a partial preterist for probably seven years. I didn't know you could be full preterist. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as I heard it, I'm like, well, that makes sense. Why am I stuck here, you know? (laughs) Because Revelation 22 bothered me, all these time statements. But, you know, we're not there yet. So I... But yeah, once you find out it's possible, then you okay. So I think just throwing it out there sometimes can be can be beneficial. I, I almost think that's kind of an interesting question. Everybody who's a full preterist was probably a partial preterist at some point. So like, how long? 
For me, it wasn't very long, but yeah. for other people, it's a while. I'm a slow learner. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, like, I didn't know that I was a partial preterist. I mean, I just, because as I was studying the Olivet Discourse, I was I was actually going through the Olivet Discourse at Berean Bible Church on their YouTube channel. And so this was coming from a full preterist angle. I just didn't quite believe it. I didn't know that, like, you would call me a partial preterist, but only I was I was not there, but it was because I hadn't finished the study yet. So I was partially there. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so I never really was the partial preterist, but I do know that trying to dissect those words and phrases, Amy Castillo said it during her, her there was a moment, right, for you where you had said, oh, I'm not going to have to divide these little lines up, which, and you saw in R.C. Sproul's face, you said, that moment where he's like, I got to stop at verse 35, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I saw he hesitated. I was listening to the last days according to Jesus, and he hesitated as to where he would just chop that. In one verse, you're in the past, and one verse, now you're in the future, in one big monologue there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'll, and I'll, yeah. Yeah. That's in the white spaces, though. It says that <laughs> yeah, yeah, now yeah. jump. <laughs> jump to the future. Oh, also, I'd never heard of any kind of preterism, I had no clue what that meant, but I heard him say there's some people out there who believe this has all been fulfilled, but you know, I don't believe that. And I thought, wait, who are those people? So right. it was, I did hear it once, and then I thought, well, I want to know what this is that he barely talked about. Well, so I mean, you, it just put it in her head. See, yeah, she just, oh, there are, see. there's people out but there, so now I can... There's aborigines out there living yeah, yeah, yeah. in the, really in the wilderness. You really can't go somewhere where you don't have an idea that that can even be possible. And so. he was talking, he was talking about Max King, that's who he was talking about. I mean, because he, he actually put a quote in his own book from Max King, you know, and so, and he believes it goes the whole way, right? Well, ironically, that's kind of what happened with me. I was reading Chilton, and I'm reading it, and I'm like, yes, Jesus did come back in the first century, like I thought so. And then I start getting the vibe. I'm like, wait a minute. Seems like this guy's saying he did, but he didn't. Like, yeah. he's coming back a third time. Yeah. yeah now, he... Chilton's great. I oh, love yeah, David yeah. Chilton. Anyone who's ever heard me knows that, so this isn't a knock on Chilton or anything. But I'm like, it seems like this guy's, I don't know, something's fishy. And then he says, of course, we cannot go along with the teaching of, and he mentions Max, Max King, King in his footnote, and he said, because the historic creeds have always taught, you know, yada, yada, yada. And I had two thoughts. Really? That's all you got? The creeds? Yeah. That was number one. And number two, I was like, who's Max King? Yeah. So yeah. I got King's book and eh, I'm not, yeah, yeah, exactly. it was kind of like whatever, you know. Right. But that opened me up to the world of, okay, there's other people that actually think it is one coming, not two different comings separated by, you know, thousands of years. Well, so it was what, a footnote to Max King and David Chilton having nothing but the creeds, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Can we get T-shirts made? Were those people? Yes. <laughs> right now, pended. Right now, Burroughs of Marie. The other others. <laughs> we're, we're, are those we're the people, people your mother warned us about. Yeah. people you yeah. were warned oh, about. Yes. You're, you're one of those people. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I would rather have like dispensational jokes like we'll see you soon and by soon I mean never. <laughs> right? Um yeah, I'll be near. We could get it made one of the, we're one of those people on the back you miss Jesus coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess the burrows we're going to have to put out the burrows tracks. Yes. We're just going to have to. 
but I think coming so, to a bathroom near you. <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> Full preterism is not potty humor, pal. What's happening? What is it about the bathrooms that that trash Because it has to seems go like there? that's where they usually end up. I know, but why? I What's don't the, know why. Material. Here you go. I, uh, Everybody's chicken. The only time I've ever saw one was at a urinal. It's either that or it's, <laughs> it's written on the wall in the bathroom somewhere on there that's about crisis coming. They're probably trying to flush out the correct rules. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That was good. Well, I appreciate all of you guys sitting around and talking to us about this because um, it is important to me. Um, I'm, you know, I don't want to push it on people either, like in a, in a very harsh way, but I definitely would like to see it in my lifetime where more people understood that Christ fulfilled what he said he would do. And that number one, tell the atheist, no, he was not a false prophet, but also tell those that are believing and looking for the future, your worldview, you're missing it. You're missing it. You're missing your whole life. And it's right here in front of us. And, you know, and it's not fair. I don't have people like Sarita here who is who is not, you know, a full preterist. And she is not one of those people. I will say this, uh, and she's not a dispensationalist either, yeah. but she also gives a ton of her time um, yes, in regard absolutely. to helping people um, who have before, during, or after an abortion. And she has, she's dedicated her life to giving it to, the, you know, whatever the Lord needs. So it's not that all of them don't. It's just we're saying a lot of those who are constantly stuck in this prophecy game you know, go watch Bob's uh, discussion on Gog and Magog and learn that that was actually fulfilled a long time ago in the book of Esther. Oh man, it's awesome. Two it's powerful. Series. It's powerful. You don't even realize it. You know what I mean? Incredible. Well, that's it. So Mr. Carter, Big Daddy, thank oh, you. Yeah. Bob, let's pull that mic over here. Thank you very much, Bob. And I want to say this, uh, Bob, you write a blog. And that blog is on the Burroughs of Berea. It is. Yeah, it's called yes. Crookshank's Corner. It is. And yes. you deal with a lot of this stuff. I try to, yeah. Yeah. And um, like you said, if there are dispensationalists, dispensationalists out there, it's my opinion. It's my view. It's how I see things. I'm just being honest with how I understand things. Um, so, you know, if you're dispensational, you're welcome to read it. See what you think. Um, you know, if you're dispensational, obviously you're my brothers and sisters in Christ. I love you, but give it a consideration, you right. know, give it a consideration. And we owe you the same thing, of course. Read the yeah. Bible. Yeah. That's the main and thing. Conte- and you know, if you can contest it with reading scripture, then bring yeah, it. Um, but just don't bring it if you're not reading it. Amy will talk about, you know, talking to people, the people she feels called to, Maybe she could talk a little bit more about this, but to witness to. But her main thing is read your Bible, get mm. them in the Bible. That's the main thing. Yep. Um, so whether whether you're a Christian or you're in what we could we would consider a cult, or you're pre mill, post mill, a mill, who knows, pan mill, or even us full preterist. That's the message we all need to hear. Run of the mill. Run of the mill. <laughs> Get your nose in that Bible. Become familiar with the Bible. You learn something new every day, no matter who you are or where you are in your walk. Mm-hmm. Or if you're one of those believers that have already been run through the mill, mm-hmm. and that yeah. and that's not a joke. The church yes. mill. You've oh been through gosh. all of them, and you feel disgusted by it. 
uh, get reinvigorated. Christ did what he said he would do. Preterism is like a country song played in reverse. Yeah. You get everything back. <laughs> <He made it laughs> all. Any final words, Joel? Uh, well, just thank you for having me be part of this. And uh, if people want to check out any, I'm putting out some content on a YouTube channel called The Past Days with Pastor Joel. And one of the things I'm trying to do is help people who maybe need an on-ramp to preterism um, or need to have discussions with other people about it. And also people that have, have uh, lost a lot because of this to sort of help help them go through that too. Yeah, give them a like and a subscribe on his YouTube channel. Yeah, that's yeah right. that's that'd right. be great. Let's do that. Amy, any final words? Oh, I'm just so excited about what I've learned in becoming a full preterist. I, it just naturally comes out of me. The joy comes out of me. I already had joy as being a believer, but um, I've shared it with my atheist friends mm-hmm. and they think it's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah. I'll be at rock concerts and I talk to people there. And I, it just, I don't have to force it. It's not like uh, giving a, you know, track to someone and going through certain verses. Um, I'm just so excited about it. It's so exciting in my life. It's easy for me to happen to mention it in some way. And it naturally comes into the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Should we send out people two by two and like the little white shirts and black shirts and bicycles or anything? No? <laughs> Pastor Curtis, any Tricycles, final words? Not any final <laughs> words from you, Pastor Curtis? No, I'm good. It's been fun. Yeah, thanks a lot. And if you guys want to see his um, uh, BereanBibleChurch.org, you can go there on his website. He has links. Um, They have cool things on there like healthy hints um, about, you know, diets. And uh, is is the things about the conference up yet for next year yet? (laughs) Yeah, come on. Gotta get it. You better get it up there. Yes. 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 We'll We'll get get it up soon. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Quickly. (laughs) Soon, quickly in here. It's at hand. This generation. No, but, um, and you can also find the Berean Bible Church on YouTube, but really go over to Rumble. Go over to Rumble, support Rumble. Rumble actually, in my opinion, is the better of the two. They allow people the freedom of speech. They don't block your content. And you can can say the things that you need to hear. So they're on the Rumble. Um, They also, I believe you have an RSS feed. I mean, you can find them pretty much anywhere. Give them a like and subscribe on both. Yeah, (laughs) do, but just, I, I would say watch it on Rumble. It's better, but that's my opinion. We have over 11,000 followers on YouTube. Yeah. And maybe not quite 500 on Rumble, but Rumble gets three times the views that yeah. YouTube gets. <laughs> yeah. I think Strange. It's those 14 predators. Right. <laughs> Watching it over and over and over again. Absolutely. Did you hear that, Doug Wilson? We're out here, <laughs> We're out here Doug. <laughs> we are. Represent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, everybody. I really appreciate you giving me your time. Pastor David Curtis has got the coolest voice. Yes, he does. <laughs> you ever notice that? Uh-huh. Yeah. Of course, I listen to him. I'm sort of partial to him. But, yeah, I yeah, know. You know, I right. watch him on Sundays. He's really cool. We're fanboying. But uh, we hope you guys enjoy that roundtable. Um, yes. Amy and Joel. Uh, when you guys heard those little echoey sounds, it's because, like I said, I was running the sound yes. that weekend, which totally was horrible. Andy! I, I'm sure it's fine. It's so not. So it's not fine. one ear when you listen. There's a, there's a spot where, like, you know, Bob's trying to talk, and then they're moving the mic to his face. And, like, <laughs> yeah. you know? But it's, a, look, we just wanted to talk about it, and it was great to get to see all them down there. Enjoyed that whole time with them. Those getting to go to the beach. so and, much fun. Yeah, and just talking to everybody. So thanks for listening. Billy, thanks for being here. Oh, yeah. Big Daddy. Oh, yeah. Ralph. Represent. <laughs> Andy. Sarita, Thank thanks for being in the studio. And we'll you talk. Bet. Yeah, we'll talk to you guys again next time on the Burroughs of Berea. Peace out. Later. Hey guys, this is Rick from the Burroughs of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None.
But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burrows of Berea, you'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys. 